transition there. Well, take your Bible, if you will, and turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21, if you've been with us on Sunday morning, uh, you know that we've been going through the book of Acts in Scripture, and the book of Acts is true to its name, as we've shared with you. It's a history, a record of the Acts of the Apostles in the early church. What happened in the first few years of the church, and if you will remember, we've been talking about the Apostle Paul. He's on his third missionary journey. You know, if you've been to Sunday school, you might remember that as we read the story of the Apostle Paul in the Bible, we can identify that he took at least three journeys throughout the Middle East preaching the gospel. And in Acts 20 and 21, he's on the final leg of what we call his third missionary journey. If you remember, there's a wonderful picture in Acts chapter 20, the church at Ephesus that Paul led and pastored for about three years. He's saying goodbye to that church and he gives a wonderful description of effective ministry that every pastor and every leader of any type of ministry should memorize. Paul's message to the Ephesian elders because he gives us a perfect description of what our ministry should look like. And so we find that in Acts chapter 20. Uh, And then if you remember, if you were with us last week, we took the church at Ephesus, which I think is just a wonderful church to study, and we looked at the book of Acts, we looked at Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and we looked in the book of Revelation, which was some 44 years after Paul Uh, was pastoring there in Ephesus, and we really got a picture of the life of a church over a 44 or so period uh, length of time. And I thought that was interesting to see how the church developed. And if you'll remember, after 44 years, and some of you might remember, if you were here, if not, I'll, I'll give you this question. If you think about where you were attending church in 1974, and now I realize I'm telling my age because I look out and some of you are like, 1974? Okay, I thought that was just in the history books. I didn't know anybody was alive, you know, that was still there. So I know that many of you perhaps were not born, but that was 44 years ago. And certainly, if you were attending church somewhere, that church has changed in those 44 years. Well, we we looked at the church in, in Ephesus in the book of Acts. We see that that church changed in Revelation chapter 2 when the Lord sent a letter to the church at Ephesus. And remember what the problem was with that wonderful church? It was still doing many wonderful things, but Jesus said, I have one thing against you, and that is that you have left your first love. And if there's anything that we as Christians must make sure that we never abandon, it is a passionate love for Jesus because that is what Christianity is all about. You can follow if you want to call them the rules of Christianity and go to a Christian church, but if you don't love Jesus, I don't see how you can say that you are a Christian because that is what being a Christian is. It is trusting in Jesus as our salvation, not our good works, not anything else, but trusting Him, loving Him, and serving Him. So, that was the church at Ephesus. Well, now in Acts chapter 21... Paul has said goodbye to the, to the elders at Ephesus, and he's on his way to Jerusalem. Paul has a burden. He wants to go to Jerusalem very bad. He wants to get there before the Jewish Feast of Pentecost, and he's doing his best to make it. And so he, take, he sets sail in Acts 21, 
the first three verses gives us a description about his journey and how he sails from Asia Minor and he's on his way to Jerusalem. And we're going to pick it up in verse number four because Paul is going to stop in the city of Tyre and there in that city he's going to receive an instruction or a warning from the believers there. And I want, you to, I want to ask a question. I want us to explore this question. Did the Apostle Paul disobey the Lord when he traveled to Jerusalem? And I want, I want to say, you might say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, let's look there in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 21 and verse number 4. He says, And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. And they told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. They told Paul through the Spirit, these are the believers, not to go to Jerusalem. Now, if you read that one verse, it seems to say that the Holy Spirit is telling Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. But let me give you a principle of Bible interpretation. If you want to learn something about the Bible, this is very important. Don't ever take one verse and assume that I'm going to build my whole life on this one verse. You know, there's a famous story of a person that said, Lord, show me what to do. And he opened up the Bible and he turned to the place in the Gospels where it was telling about Judas. And the verse says, and Judas went out and hanged himself. He said, well, I, I don't know that that gives me a whole lot of instruction there. I, so, Lord... Give me something else. Give me a verse. So he opened up his Bible to another verse, and it said, Go thou and do likewise. <laughs> that's what you're going to get into. If that's your approach to, bi- to, your approach to Bible study, it's what I call the buffet approach. You know, how many of you like the buffet? You go, I'll take some of that. Oh, I don't like that. I'll take some of that. I, I don't like that. If that's your approach to the Bible, the buffet approach, I'm going to pick here, I'm going to pick there. I like this. I don't like that. I like this. You're not going to get much out of the Bible that's going to truly change your life and make you the person your Creator intended for you to be. So if we just take this one verse, we might say, well, Paul is not supposed to go to Jerusalem, but boy, to be an apostle, he is determined to go to Jerusalem. Well, let's let's just take everything the book of Acts tells us about what the Lord told Paul about going to Jerusalem. And let's just find out Did Paul make a mistake? Did did he disobey the Lord when he went to Jerusalem? Well, if you go all the way back to Acts chapter 9, remember when Paul was converted to Christianity? You might remember the story. Paul was one of the most ardent opposers to Christianity in the first century. Paul was raised a devout Jew, and he saw Christianity as a sect, as, if you will... um, something that should be stamped out. It was a subversion of the Jewish Scriptures. And so Paul went around arresting Christians everywhere he could find them. And he was on his way to Damascus to arrest more Christians. And you know the story, a light shone from heaven and it it, uh, Paul fell to the ground and and, uh, the Lord spoke to him and said, it's hard for you to kick against the thorns and and, uh, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, well, who are you, Lord? And the Lord responded, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And through that, to make a long story short, you know, Paul was converted to Christianity. Well, when he went into Damascus, Ananias was going to pray for him. 
And in Acts chapter 9 verse 16, the Lord tells Ananias to pray for this man Paul because he is going to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. You know, what if I decided to write a book? Everybody's writing best-selling books, right? Well, none of you maybe, but you know, I see a lot of folks writing books. That's the new thing, right? Everybody writes a book, then they go on television shows and promote it. You know, and they have a New York Times bestseller. Well, I think about all the the, the books that I see that are bestsellers in the Christian world. And uh, all of them that I have seen recently have to do with how you're going to have a great life. You know, all the wonderful things that God has in store for you. And He's going to just bless you abundantly. Well, you know, what if the Apostle Paul decided to write a book and the title of the book was All the Things You're Going to Suffer for Christ. I doubt many folks would buy that book. And that's exactly what Ananias was told by the Lord. Here's Paul's future. Here's this man, a very highly educated man in his time, the Apostle Paul. He was in the upper class, well educated. He was a Roman citizen. My goodness, that was just about as high in the social class as you could get 2,000 years ago. Remember, he had a conversation with a Roman centurion, and he says, I'm a Roman citizen. And the Roman centurion says, with a great sum I obtained, because you could purchase Roman citizenship. You could pay so much money and buy that right as a Roman citizen. You had a right to a trial. You had so many rights that a common person who was not a citizen did not have. And Paul was a Roman citizen. He had all these things in his favor, and yet he makes a decision that I'm going to follow Christ. And at the very beginning, you know, the Lord doesn't, doesn't he can't be called guilty of false advertising. He didn't tell Paul, hey Paul, come follow me and man, you're going to have the best time of your life. Come follow me and things are going to be great. At the very beginning, Ananias says, Paul, you're going to suffer many things for Jesus. So Paul made a decision. You remember the old hymn we sometimes sing? I've decided to follow Jesus. Though none go with me, I still will follow. The world behind me, the cross before me. Paul understood that. And he decided to follow Jesus. So we find out in Acts chapter 9 that the Lord told Paul, you're going to have a tough life, Paul. You're going to have a mission to go spread the gospel. You're going to stand before kings. You're going to stand before the Gentiles. You're going to stand before your brethren according to the flesh, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, because of course Paul was a Jew. You're going to be my witness to all of these people. And Paul, you are going to suffer many things for my name's sake. Well, go over to Acts chapter 19. And remember, we're talking about going to Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 19, when Paul is giving his farewell to the Ephesian elders, if you look in verse number 21 uh, of Acts 19, it says, And when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I had been there, I must also see Rome. Actually, that's before he met with the Ephesian Ephesian elders. But we see there in Acts 19, Paul had a burden. Have you ever ever, ever had something in your mind and in your heart that you just feel like you have to do? I mean, it's just burning you alive. And and you say, man, I've I've got to do this. 
This is something that is on my heart. It's a burden. And that was with Paul. He had this burden. He purposed in his spirit or in the spirit that he had to go to Jerusalem. And he said after that to go to Rome. Well, look in Acts chapter 20. So Paul knows he's going to be, he's going to suffer. He has a burden in his heart to go to Jerusalem and then to go to Rome. And then after he gives his uh, farewell to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, notice there in verse number 22, he says about his future plans, he says, And now I go bound in the Spirit. He's referring to that burden he had, that, that he felt like he had to go to Jerusalem. He must go to Jerusalem. He says, And now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. Now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Now, we don't have the individual prophecies that were given, but we know here from Paul's statement, he says in every city, not just in one place, but everywhere Paul would go, the Holy Spirit would testify, someone would speak, by the Holy Spirit and say, Paul, when you get to Jerusalem, chains and imprisonments await you. Suffering is waiting for you in Jerusalem. Paul says, everywhere I go, I hear that word. But notice verse 24. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul is saying there, the Holy Spirit, by the way, he didn't say the Holy Spirit was forbidding him to go to Jerusalem. He says the Holy Spirit is telling him that trouble awaits you in Jerusalem. Imprisonment awaits you. Suffering awaits you. Bonds await you in Jerusalem. But Paul says that that doesn't matter. He says, I want to finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God. So Paul is saying there, he believes that part of his ministry, part of his obedience to the Lord is to go to Jerusalem. He sees that as part of the fulfillment of his ministry. Well, look over in Acts chapter 23, verse 11. Uh, after Paul reaches Jerusalem and he is arrested... Um, by he's first assaulted by a Jewish mob and then the Roman soldiers come in and they rescue Paul, if you will, from the mob but they put him in chains, they take him to prison and while he's there, he has a vision in verse 11 it says, the following night the Lord stood by him and said be of good cheer, Paul for, you have, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem so you must also bear witness at Rome. So here we begin to have a clear picture. We see that the Lord is telling Paul, you've testified for me in Jerusalem, and you're also going to testify for me in Rome. And finally, in Acts chapter 27, in verse number 22, remember Paul is on his way to Rome here in chapter 27, and they're on a boat, and uh, the boat is about to enter into, or has entered into, a storm. So in Acts chapter 27, verse number 22, Paul says, Men, he said, You should have listened to me and not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, 
For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the Lord, to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul, for you must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. So there in Acts chapter 27, we see that the Lord says to Paul that you must be brought before Caesar. So I want to share with you when it says that they testified in Acts chapter um, 21 there that we just read in in verse number 4. They testified warning him not to go up to Jerusalem. I don't believe we can say that the Holy Spirit did not want Paul to go to Jerusalem. I think if you look at all of the passages in the book of Acts, it becomes apparent that that was God's purpose for Paul was to go to Jerusalem and then to go to Rome. However, the Holy Spirit was warning Paul that when you get to Jerusalem, you're not going to be welcome with open arms. It's not going to be a big homecoming. You may have heard the story about the missionary who had spent many, many years, an entire lifetime, on the mission field. And this was back in the old steamship days before airliners. And and he was coming home after his years on the mission field. And he was going to embark there in New York City in the harbor. And as he came down the gangplank, he saw a big band playing and big thing, welcome home, you know. And he thought, well, you know, I, I, I didn't realize people knew I was coming home. And he began to think, well, you know, people are they're, they're welcoming me. He thought about all the hard work he had put in in the, in the overseas mission field and the, everything that he had sacrificed. And he thought, well, you know, they remembered. And here's my friends and my church family. They're here to welcome me. And, and he was beginning to think about what he might say if they asked him to say a word, trying to run through, you know, what... what Maybe they'll ask me to speak, but well, what could I say? He kind of run through a little congratulations speech, and, and as he got ready to depart, suddenly he saw a guy in front going down the gangplank waving, and, and there was a famous actor who was, leaving, who was getting off the ship that everybody knew. And all of a sudden he realized, there's nobody here for me. Here I am coming home, and, and I've given my life on the mission field. I've sacrificed my entire life for something good and noble and pure, and there's nobody to greet me. And he began to be depressed and dejected, and and it seemed that the Lord spoke to him and said, Well, son, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. And so Paul understood as he was ready to go to Jerusalem that he needed to expect there to be a welcoming committee to embrace him and thank him, but instead... There was going to be an assault force, a group that was going to assault him and falsely accuse him and bind him. And that is what he must expect. And I believe that's what the Holy Spirit was telling him. Paul, there's some difficult times ahead. Get prepared. Be ready. You're going to suffer in Jerusalem. You're going to be imprisoned in Jerusalem. So I think about the Apostle Paul and I think, what does that mean to you and I? I think about in our life, as I said earlier today, you think about how Paul's ministry began where uh, Ananias was told, you must show him the things he must suffer for my name's sake. You know, most of us seek safety and not the Savior. Most of us are prioritizing comfort but not commitment. We often pursue happiness and not Holiness. 
This may shock you, but Jesus did not die on the cross to make you happy. According to Scripture, He died on the cross to make us holy, to cleanse us from our sin, and to give us reconciliation with our Father. And you know, Jesus said some amazing things that often don't make sense in the natural. Remember when He said, if you lose your life for My sake, you'll find it. And if you save your life, you'll lose it. And then He said, if you're first, you'll be last. And if you're last, you'll be first. And if you want to be the greatest, become the least. And the least will be the greatest. And the greatest will be the least. And Bob getting confused up here. I mean, everything's backward. Right? No, what Jesus was teaching us is a principle of His kingdom. You may be shocked when we say, well, Jesus didn't die to make me happy. Well, well, I thought that's what life was all about, being happy. No. If the Bible's true, we have a Creator who created us, which means we have a purpose. And St. Augustine, some 1,800 years ago, wrote, God, You have made us for Yourself, and our souls are restless till we find our place in You. You see... You don't find happiness by looking for it. You find happiness and fulfillment and peace by looking and seeking for the author of happiness, the author of peace, the author of all that is good and true, and that one is God, our Creator. And that's part of what Jesus was saying, that that if you lose your life, remember how did Jesus say to follow Him? If anyone would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The very first part was to to, to, to deny oneself. Say, I'm not going to live for me anymore. And I think with Paul going to Jerusalem, we have a perfect picture of a man who was completely sold out to his Lord. Everybody, the Holy Spirit told him everywhere he went, Paul, when you get to Jerusalem, they're going to arrest you. When you get to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound. When you get to Jerusalem, you're going to be in prison. Suffering awaits you in Jerusalem. He had every opportunity to turn back. But he didn't. He kept saying, I am bound in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I am bound in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And I think about what Paul said. Remember when he got to the end of his life? The book of Acts, by the way, ends with Paul's first imprisonment in Rome. And it just kind of stops there. But we know from other letters and from history that Paul was released from that first imprisonment and then he was imprisoned again later and that's when he was beheaded. And right before he was beheaded, Paul wrote the letter we call 2 Timothy. The last letter that we have on record that the Apostle Paul wrote. You've probably heard this verse quoted at funerals and a very famous passage. And I think about Paul's already, he's been to Jerusalem, he's been to Rome, now he's been to Rome twice. And how does he end his life? He ends his life with this statement. He says, I am ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And he goes on to say, Henceforth there is laid up a crown of righteousness for me, and not for me only, but for all those that love the Lord's appearing. 
How could he reach the end of his life and he could say with certainty, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith. Because he had made up a long time ago, his life was not going to be about comfort, it was not going to be about happiness, it was not going to be about his personal safety, it was going to be about one thing and one thing only, and that was to serve Jesus. Yesterday, I, some of you may have seen the pastor, the Pastor Brunson, who had been in a prison in Turkey for a couple of years and was just released, I believe it was Friday. And uh, President Trump had invited him to the White House and he was there. And I was very impressed with the demeanor of this pastor. You know, he spoke about how much he loved the Turkish people. How wonderful the Turkish people were. He had nothing bad to say. Someone asked him, did he plan on returning to Turkey? And uh, he said, well, you know, he's just going to pray and and, and seek the Lord's will. But, But as I watched him and I watched his wife, I thought, what a wonderful witness for Jesus Christ. This is who we should be. This is a true follower. I don't know his heart, but from what I can tell, from what I saw, he looked to me like a true follower of Christ. Christianity is not about being rich. Christianity is not about being healthy. Christianity is about knowing the purpose for which you were created and following that purpose wherever it leads. One of my great heroes of the faith you've often heard me talk about is Corey Ten Boom. And as I, if you go back and, and, and look, she's been dead for many years now, but you know, she served time in a Nazi, Nazi concentration camp. And the love that she had, the suffering she went through, and yet the love that she had, you know, one of the things about suffering, if we're not careful, suffering makes us bitter, pain makes us angry, causes us to hate. And to want to lash out. That's the natural human reaction. And the wonderful thing about grace, the wonderful thing about the gospel, one of the miracles of the gospel is that the gospel and the word of God and the grace of God can come into a heart that is so open to bitterness and anger and hate and fill that heart with love and forgiveness and grace. You want to know a miracle? That's a miracle. That's a miracle. To take a woman like Corey Ten Boone who had every right to hate her captors and every right to be bitter and angry, but yet she went to the very nation that imprisoned her in the years after and shared the wonderful grace of God and the love of God. It'll be St. Patrick's Day before long. I don't know, I can't remember when it is, isn't it March, April? It's green, I know that. Well, you know, one of the things about the, the person we call St. Patrick, uh, what we know about the young man Patrick was he was lived in England, what we know as England today, um, many, many years ago. And the Irish were pagan and non-Christian at that time, the, the, the island of Ireland, and they would make raiding parties across to England, which was, quote, Christianized. Well, they would often capture his young people and take them as slaves and poor Patrick the son of uh, an official been brought up as a Christian but yet was living a very wild lifestyle in his teenage years he was taken by the Irish and took to Ireland as a slave well while working as a slave in Ireland he he rekindled his faith that's all he had and he began to to pray and he began to ask God and to help him And the story goes, he had a dream, had a vision about a boat that was there. And somehow, 
he, he managed to escape. And he escaped his captors and he made it back to England. Well, he got back to England. And, you know, if it had been me, I, uh, Ireland is on one side of England. I would have moved to the other side of England, away from Ireland. And prayed, God, let me never look at another Irishman again. You know, I never want to see another one again. But you know what young Patrick did? He felt impressed by the Lord. And he felt God, as Paul was bound in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Go back to Jerusalem. Young Patrick, the story goes, was bound in the Spirit. You know what God was telling him to do? Often God causes us to face our greatest fears. You know that? That's when God can use us to face our... He said... Go back to Ireland. Lord, in case you forgot, you just helped me get out of there. Remember, me and you got together and I prayed and, and you told me how to find a boat and, and we didn't know if we were going to make it or not, but I made it by your grace. You just helped me get out of there and now you want me to go back? He said, yeah. The Lord said, go back and preach the gospel to the Irish. Your former captors and masters we do know this. I'm sure there's a lot of legend that's surrounded with Patrick. I don't think he chased all the snakes out of Ireland or anything like that. There's a lot of legends about... But we do know this for a fact. That this young former slave impressed by the love of God and the grace of God went back to Ireland and he went around and he preached the gospel to those who were his former captors. That's, what, that's a miracle. You want, to, you want to talk about a miracle? That's a miracle. I mean, if you've got hatred in your heart, you've got hurt that you don't think can be, can be healed, yes, it can. That is the very message of the cross. The, the message of the cross is God's grace can overcome any hurt, any pain, any anger, any unforgiveness. That's the message of the gospel. That is the message of Jesus. I hadn't got permission from Lloyd, but I'm going to share this. Uh, she's cringing now. But I, uh, Jensen Franklin, I, I don't necessarily agree with all his uh, theology, but, but I like to listen to him. I think he's a pretty good preacher. But I, I was watching a little clip he had put on Facebook the other day. It was about marriage. I don't know why I brought up marriage when I'm talking about suffering. But anyway, we'll... <laughs> Don't take anything from that. But anyway, uh, he, he was talking about marriage and uh, he was, I thought it was some of the best marriage advice I'd ever heard. And that's from a man that's been married 32 years. Right? Is that right? Yeah. Is that right, Lord? Yeah, 86, 18. It's been a long time since I was in school and I don't have a calculator handy. 32 years. Some of the best marriage advice I've ever heard. And it was simply summed up that no marriage is perfect. By the way, I think that's one of the great problems with all the entertainment we have and all the th stories that we're bombarded with that everybody thinks that somewhere out there is this perfect person and God's going to lead them, lead me to them and, and we're going to get married and we're just going to live happily ever after and we're just going to be like, it's just going to be wonderful. Wake up. Wake up. He said, there's not a perfect marriage. You're going to argue. 
Sometimes the devil's going to tell you, hey, you know, you'd be better off by yourself. You'd be better off. You could find somebody else. You'd be a lot better off. But he said, you know, me and my wife made up or made a decision a long time ago that we may not see eye to eye, but we're going to walk hand in hand. Now, you can write that down and take it with you because that's some good advice. You'll never find anybody that you'll always see eye to eye with. You're going to disagree and disagree strongly and fervently from time to time. Let me, have you, let me just stop. Have you ever disagreed if you have any brothers or sisters? Have you, have you ever disagreed with your brothers and sisters? I see, a, I see a hand. I see that hand. Okay. Hey. She's talking about spiritually speaking. Yeah. Have you ever disagreed? Have you ever disagreed with a biological brother or sister? I know you have. I can think, boy, I used to think, boy, my, my sisters, I, I thought my mission in life was to make their life miserable. And uh, that's what I try to do my best to do. But listen, there's not going to be anybody on the face of the earth more like you than your brother or sister. You both got the same mama and the same daddy. The same two people came together and made you and made your brother and made your sister. So if, if you can't even get along with somebody that has the same DNA mix-up that you have from the same two people, how in the world are you going to get along with somebody completely different and the opposite sex than you? That's really challenging. So you're not going to see eye to eye, but my friend, if you want to have a great marriage, a good marriage, decide to walk hand in hand. And, and how that ties into this is there's so many people that they're searching for that perfect mate. Well, they already got a mate, but that one's not good enough. They're searching for that perfect mate. And they're looking at their mate and saying, well, you know, man, if you, if you just was more like me, if you were just outgoing like me, or if you wanted to stay home like I do, I mean, you just, you cramp my style. You, you, you mess my life up. They're in love with a fairy tale. A romance novel, a romance movie, a story. That doesn't exist. There are no perfect marriages, but there are people of goodwill who both have decided, I don't see eye to eye with you, but I love you, and I'm going to walk through life hand in hand. That's the people that make it to 50 years. That's the people to make it, that make it to 75 years. Those are the people that stay together, not because they looked up and found somebody that was so great and they both had this perfect union. It's because they decided, we're going to do it. And I'm going to love you. And my friend, just as Paul didn't make his goal happiness, he made his goal holiness. I want to be obedient to the Lord. He didn't make his goal safety or comfort. I want to make sure nothing bad happens to me. No, he made his goal obedience. He was bound in the Spirit. He knew bad things were going to happen to him at Jerusalem, and we're going to wait till next week. We're going to get into his trial and what happened to him, how he was arrested, and, and all of this, and we're going to go into that next week. But today we just want to focus on how he got there. He got there because he had a higher calling than his own comfort, his own life, his own well-being. His desire was to be obedient to the Lord, whatever that cost. Whatever happened. And I want to challenge you. You're here today. You say, I'm a Christian. 
You know, Brother William, when I was 6 years old, or I was 12 years old, or I was 15 years old, or I was 30, I gave my life to Jesus. Well, are you giving your life to Him today? What are you giving Him today? How do you give your life to Jesus today? When you make your decisions today, are you, are you making your decisions based on what you think is best for you? Or are you making your decisions as Paul did by saying, Lord Jesus, I'm not looking at my own well-being. I'm looking at what you've called me to do. I want to finish my race. I want to fight the good fight. I want to be as the Apostle Paul was that kept the faith and did not abandon the faith or quit the race. I've never run a marathon. Anybody ever ran a marathon? I've already gotten in trouble asking for volunteers. Chris, there you go. I've seen him running before on the Park Road, Satilla Road. I saw several of you running, but I don't know if it was a marathon. Some of you, I thought it was torture. I didn't know exactly what was, what was happening. But I've, I've run enough. I've never run a marathon, but I've, I've uh, did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. No, I've never run a marathon, but I've I, I run a little bit. And I do know when you run, you can begin to hurt and you want to stop running. You, you, and Paul said, I finished the course. It's easy to start running. It's like losing weight. You know, everybody starts out, I'm going to lose weight. Yes, sir. I've, I've shared this before. I found that when I am most motivated to lose weight is right after a big meal. I'm sitting in there, I can't even move. I'm going to lose weight. I tell you what, I'm, 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 I'm doing it. I won't eat for a week. About eight hours later, I'm rummaging through the refrigerator. Yeah, yeah, listen, when we're all sitting in church and it's amen time, everybody says, yes, I want to serve Jesus. Absolutely. Yes. But when you get out there in the world and the world tempts you with something that's obviously pleasant and good by every standard of pleasure and comfort that the world offers, but yet we know God is calling us to something higher, something pure, something better. Although that road is more difficult and harder and fraught with danger and perhaps even suffering, what will we choose? Well, I'm preaching to myself, but I, you can listen. I want to encourage William and you as well to take heart from the Apostle Paul and choose God's road. Choose the narrow road. Choose the upward road. The difficult road. The hard road. Not the easy road and not the broad road. And then, when our time is over, we like Paul can say, I'm ready to go. I have fought the good fight. I didn't surrender. I have finished the course. I didn't sit down. I kept running. I have kept the faith. I didn't throw it away. I kept it. And now the time of my reward is at hand. I pray we'll make that decision. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the example of the Apostle Paul, Lord, who had a good life, well-educated in the upper class of society, well-respected by his peers, but yet, Lord, he laid all of that aside to follow you. And he traveled throughout the ancient world, often stoned and run out of town and spoken evil of and falsely accused, but yet none of that deterred him. 
He was faithful through suffering and hardship, never bitter, never angry, never vindictive, always forgiving and always wanting to share the love of Jesus with even his enemies who opposed him. I pray, God, that you might give us that spirit that he had, the spirit of the Lord Jesus, the spirit that calls us to share the gospel with anyone and everyone, especially those who are the most opposed to the gospel. And to share it not with bitterness or vindictiveness, but with the love of God and the grace of God. That we might always preach the gospel using words when necessary. But preaching most of all with our life and with our actions and our attitude. There's one here that doesn't know Jesus. I pray that your spirit would draw them today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're here this morning. You want to come pray? You'd like for me to pray with you? You just obey the Lord as we sing.